and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they were zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is a combination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is within your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? It is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Amen. Okay. Um, last year when we had like our launch, so th- this time last year was Paul and Karina's last Sunday. Yeah, it feels crazy that it's been a whole year. Um, but yeah, keep praying for them and... Um, I'm sure they're feeling, remembering that today, um, so if you remember to pray for them today. Um, when we launched kind of the week after last year, we went to Romans 12, so we've kind of, uh, playing catch up, we're going backwards a little bit, so keep that passage in front of you. We've been working through the book of Romans over the last uh, few weeks, and well, we're not going to have a full uh, talk today, because I've already done a lot of sharing, but just a little look at this to try to help us uh, launch into this year. Um, so, being the school holidays, I don't know how many times, if you've got kids around, you've heard this, it's just not fair, it's not fair, pack up your things, it's not fair, I didn't even play with them, no more ice cream, it's not fair, they got ice cream, why can't I have any, Are we, uh, am I getting any nodding heads, you know what this is like, uh, they went to the movies, why can't I, it's not fair, not fair, not fair, not fair can be a thing that we can hear a lot of. And we can feel it ourselves as adults, can't we? Oh, they got that new car. That's not fair. I want that new car. Oh, look at where they're on holidays. That's not fair. Uh, I want to be on holidays there. It's very easy to kind of have this attitude. Well, I want to remind you of an amazing way that God has treated us, not fairly, but much better than we deserve. The book of Romans spells out uh, the the big picture of the gospel and how it impacts us. And earlier in Romans, in the CEV version, 
puts it so in such an easy way to understand. Romans chapter 3, 24 to 26 says, But God treats us much better than we deserve. Because of Christ Jesus, he freely accepts us and sets us free from our sins. God sent Christ to be our sacrifice. Christ offered his life's blood so that by faith in him, we could come to God. And God did this to show that in the past, he was right to be patient and forgive sinners. This also shows that God is right when he accepts people who have faith in Jesus. God's grace, God's grace, is the, his immeasurable grace is not treating us as we deserve. It's not fair, it's better than fair. God, rather than being fair and giving us what our sins deserve, gives us forgiveness by faith in his son. And this forgiveness, you'll remember, if you've been here over the last uh, few Sundays over January, this forgiveness brings you into freedom. It brings you into hope. And it brings you into that immeasurable love that isn't threatened by everything. Right at the climax of saying all this, Paul writes in chapter 8, Verse 37, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's so complete what Jesus has done. And then, as you read on in the book of Romans, it actually introduces a, a quite an important question. Now, that question, it's not fair, or that assertion, it's not fair, kind of goes along the lines of what's being said in this next part. But what you see from the start of chapter 9 goes something like this. If God has made it so easy for someone to be his child, to be his follower, by having, just, just by having faith in Jesus... Well, what about all the Jews in the Old Testament who had to do all this stuff to have righteousness? They had to follow the law. What about the whole Old Testament? Kind of is what's going on in this part. The verse right before uh, what Dean read for us kind of sums up this question that's being asked. Chapter 9, verse 30 says, What then shall we say, that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it? A righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written. See, I lay a stone in Zion that causes people to stumble. And a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. It's pretty clear what the issue is. These, this is a very simple question to what about all those people that trusted in following the law, trusted in finding righteousness in, in that, was that they never actually had faith. They never actually developed faith in the God that gave them that law. Faith wasn't at the heart of what they were about. Just like it says in verse 32 there, why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, 
but as if it were by works. And so we get into this passage that we're looking at today. And Paul looks at this group of people and this truth, and he says in verse 1 of chapter 10, there he says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they might be saved. He wants them to know Jesus because they're stuck in their old uh, covenant, they're stuck in their old religion, and they don't have faith in their heart and they can't know him. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to having that desire to see other people in your circles, in your community, in your life, knowing Jesus? Can you see how stuck they are? Your husband, your mum, your neighbour, your friend, whoever it is, can you relate to what Paul says there? My heart's desire and prayer to God is that they might be saved. He goes on, For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. It's not that these people weren't serious about their religion. It wasn't that they weren't sincere in what they believed. It's just that they didn't trust God. They trusted completely in their own effort. And when you read verse 4, by contrast, Paul writes, Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there might be righteousness for everyone who believes. If you want to look at being right with God by following the law, you've got to look at Jesus. Because only he did it perfectly. And for all the zeal that these people had, for all their sincerity in in their religion, well, they just missed the mark because it wasn't on their heart. They've missed the fact that, like chapter 1 of Romans says, the whole creation is turned upside down by sin. The whole uh, world that we live in, Sin has pervaded it, every part of life. You can't just obey your way out of sin. They've missed the fact that only Jesus was fully righteous in his obedience. Now, all this is by way of context to understand that this is our launch Sunday and remember what we're on about as a church. On the front of your service sheet today where I got the date wrong, but I got a couple of other things right, which is the more important stuff, I wrote our vision and mission statement. And we often recite these things to ourselves. And just to remind us of our vision statement, as a church, we're wanting to love Jesus, love each other, love our community, love the world, and to help others do the same. And actually, these verses, in a way, teach us what it looks like to truly love Jesus. Now, it's being the opposite of these people, but it's to actually have our faith in him. Truly loving Jesus is putting your total dependence on him. It teaches us what it looks like to truly love each other. And that is by desiring the way that Paul does for these people that the people around us would keep putting their hope in Jesus, keep putting their faith in Jesus in all their circumstances. How can you love one another? You can want for them and encourage for them and pray for them that they would grow in their faith in Jesus. These verses show us what it looks like to truly love the community, that our community would want to know Jesus. 
There's lots of people that are zealous for all kinds of causes. There's lots of people that are sincere and hardworking for lots of things in this town, in the surrounding towns, in our overall community. But just being zealous or just being sincere or just being hardworking doesn't actually get us anywhere. Faith in Jesus does. And this verse teaches us what it looks like to truly love the world. And that it happens by seeing Jesus taken to the world, which comes up later in these verses. See, for the Jews, their mistake was believing that their obedience, obedience sorry, would save them. We ourselves and the world around us have our hopes placed in all kinds of things. The, the water that we swim in has people hoping in all kinds of stuff. Now, this has often been described as having a functional saviour, believing that there's hope lying in something other than God. Martin Luther said it like this, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God, your functional saviour. And this idea of having a functional saviour means whatever your heart's greatest desire is, is what you're really trusting in. If you finish this sentence, honestly, it will reveal it to you. I am preoccupied with, if only I had, I would be happy. I get my significance from, the thing that gives me greatest pleasure is, whatever you're filling in those blanks with, shows us what we actually hope in and trust. Now as Christians, we're fighting this battle to put Jesus in, that place all of the time before we've come to faith or without faith we don't we we could try to fill that with all kinds of things someone's looked at the world around us kind of a modern western society this list is from 2016 and they've come up with seven seven things that are common that people fill in this blank with their own desires number one number two money number three career Number four, their own amusement or entertainment. Number five, religion itself. Number six, relationships and the connections that people have. And number seven, the opinions, the opinions of others and our own opinions and thoughts. These are things that our sinful hearts cling to. And we've got to remember that none of these things save us. None of these things we go to, no matter how zealous or sincere we are, actually bring the hope or the joy or the freedom that comes from actually knowing God through the gospel. It all comes back to loving Jesus, loving Jesus who is the righteous one for us because we will struggle and battle with this. But we love and trust in the one that has fully fulfilled the righteousness for us. And this flows into your witness, into your witness to people around you. These are the things that our brothers and sisters are tempted with in our community. Our community is caught up in all these things. Our world promotes this stuff back to us all the time. It's the air that we breathe to look for an answer to the longings in all of these kinds of things. So I want to remind us this morning, church, that we have a duty to hold out to one another and to the community the simple and beautiful truth of the gospel that only Jesus will save us. 
that only Jesus brings hope and freedom and unconditional love. Is your desire like that of Paul's right at the start of this passage, that God's grace would extend? I've drawn this all out of how he was relating back to the Jewish people, but I hope you can see how it sets that shape for how we're on mission to all kinds of people. So we move on to verse 5 really quickly, and these next few verses, we see Paul making a contrast between how the Jews believed they would be made righteous and how righteousness actually comes by faith. Read verse 5 with me again. Moses writes about this, that the righteousness is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. And what he's saying there is if you're going to be fully righteous, then you need to be 100% righteous. There's no margin forever. And then through verses 6 to 8, Paul goes back over a whole section of Deuteronomy. And he draws out and quotes all those verses. But what he's doing is he's making the point that the Israelites, at the time where the Israelites were going into the promised land, that what they needed to actually do was to have God in their hearts, to love him with their hearts. If you look at verse 8, we see that it's all about the heart. But what does it say? The word is near to you and in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. Our hearts need to be in the right place with our hope and faith and dependence on Jesus himself. That's where faith proceeds from. We've got to remember, faith is actually our trust in action, living it out. Loving Jesus is putting our faith and hope and dreams and everything into Jesus. Often the, the common wisdom of the world is to not put all your eggs in one basket, isn't it? But the opposite is true in your Christian life. You put all of your hope in Jesus. All of your hope in the death of Jesus because it's so complete. All of your hope in the risen Jesus because he is so alive. Living, loving Jesus is putting our faith and hope and dreams and everything in Jesus. Look, I don't have time to go into any more of that section, but can I encourage you to go back to those verses in Deuteronomy and, and look at it and read it because it sets up for what Paul says in this next part in verses 8 to 11, that at the heart of knowing Jesus is this dual action of confessing and believing. Pick it up with verse 9 for me. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's saying it. Jesus is Lord. It's proclaiming it. It's doing it in your word, but also in how you live your life, how you shape your life, the rhythm that your life runs upon, saying that Jesus is Lord. And it's in your heart, knowing that he died for you, having confidence in that, that he is risen in power to new life. Now you'll notice in verse 9 that the order is confessing and then believing. But then in verse 10, he switched it around. He talks about believing and then confessing. And the thing is, not one of these is more important than the other. Both are essential. In fact, both are intertwined. See, if you only confess that you're a Christian, if you only say the right things, 
but don't believe, there'll actually be no evidence in your life. Likewise, if you only believe, but don't outwardly show that you believe, then how deep is your belief really? That sets you up for a very shallow faith. What it is to truly love Jesus is to have faith in him. And the expression of this is a willingness to declare Jesus as your Lord and live in a way that depends on him. Go to chapter 12 of Romans and you see Paul spell it right out, living a life that is a living sacrifice back to him. Loving Jesus is depending on his death to cleanse you from your sin and to depend on his resurrection to live your life in its power. If you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. The words that we say, uh, that we give shape to what we understand our mission to be, to be growing, showing and going in the love of Jesus is seen here as well. If we think about it, growing in our love of Jesus means being built up in these things. So I want to ask you today, how can you grow in your love for Jesus this year? Does it mean for you upping your commitment to your community group? Or maybe actually taking that step, putting yourself out there and becoming part of one? Does it mean serving in a new way? Making space, being generous with your time? Verse 11 encourages us in this. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Growing comes first and showing is the second thing in our vision statement. Showing our love for Jesus means letting this stuff overflow in every part of your life. Proclaiming Jesus as Lord doesn't equate to standing down on Oak Street and just kind of like preaching at people as they come by. It's actually infusing the gospel into all of your conversations and interactions. Think about this. Is there ways that you can better give honour to Jesus as you talk about your life with other people? With your Christian friends, with your non-Christian friends and family? Can you show the self-sacrificial love of Jesus in how you relate to people? And thirdly, going in the love of Jesus means doing this everywhere. Going in the love of Jesus, literally everywhere you go, showing this love of Jesus to people. Verse 13 shows us that this is the hope that we have, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Salvation is near to everyone that we're willing to take it to. I'd appeal to those everywhere in our lives and communities that they might reach out and find it. Taking out that hope that we have that people might call on Jesus to save them too. As a church this morning, we're committed to loving Jesus. As a church, we're committed to loving each other, to loving our community and the world and to helping others do the same. And helping others to do the same is the mission. See, we don't just hold on to Jesus as a personal thing. Paul asks some pretty obvious questions. If you look back at verse 14 and 15 to wrap this up with me. How then 
Can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who brings, bring good news. Now often this can be misunderstood as some kind of rallying statement that we've got to read this and find our motivation to go and reach people, to go with the gospel. But when you actually read this in context, Paul's actually referring to himself and all the mission that he's been doing and the way that the mission has been witnessed by the people that were reading this. Paul was already out there. Missions were already happening everywhere. And the big point is that God hasn't forgotten Israel, that he did send people to them to declare the good news to them. The news that faith in Jesus alone, whether you're a Jew or whether you're from any other part of the world, that it's Jesus that saves you. And so I want to remind you, I'm not trying to say this morning that you've got to, you know, go, 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 because you are already sent. You've been sent ever since you received Jesus. And so I want to encourage you to remember that. Remember that everywhere you go, you carry Jesus with you. You are a witness. So let it be the right witness. Let it witness to people sincere faith that that truth is truly on your heart. Remember that as a church, we're a going people. The thing about saying that we're growing and showing and going is that it's, they're not distinct things, are they? Those things are true, have to be true all of the time. Constantly growing constantly showing what it is to have faith in your heart and constantly going everywhere with that. This is a tricky part of the Bible that when I sat down to, to look at it, so hopefully I've made sense of it for you this morning. And it's got some pretty massive global statements in it. And if you read on here, you actually learn that not all of the people in Israel actually came to faith. And we've got to remember that we go out in this up against it, up against a world that is still the wrong way up. And so that's why I want to leave us with verse 11. Let this be your mantra as we launch into this year. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Don't waver. Don't give up. As he's on our heart, as we believe in him, the promise is that we will never be put to shame from here into eternity. Let's give thanks for that. Loving Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its guidance. We thank you for the truth. Lord, we ask that you would help us to understand it. Lord, that you would help us truly know what it is to be your people, to grow in our love for Jesus, each other, community and the world, to be helping other people to do the same, to be growing in that love and faith, to be showing the fruit of that, to be going everywhere with it. Lord, we ask that this year uh, you might continue to lead us and guide us. And Lord, that we would see these things come to bear, bear much fruit. 
In Jesus' mighty name, amen.